The weather is finally getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I wanted to update my wardrobe for the long haul without spending a fortune. Luckily, I found Quince. Now I've got a lineup of timeless pieces that keep me looking effortlessly chic year after year, like premium European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts from $30, washable silk tops, timeless 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. The best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost like the middleman that passes the savings on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. I love that. I am so excited. I have two gorgeous, lightweight cashmere sweaters coming my way. One camel, one heather gray. I cannot wait to wear them in the warmer months when it's chilly in LA. Throwing them over my shoulders. Going to look so cute. Can't wait. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash judging Megan for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash judging Megan to get free shipping and 365 day returns quince.com slash judging Megan. And now back to the podcast. Hi, everybody. You are listening to Judging Megan with your host, Megan Judge. Um, I'm going to start out with a few things. Number one, if you're not on Patreon, I know that I'm the worst. If you're subscribing to Patreon and I've been behind on putting content up there, I'm sorry. I'm just my husband works all the time and we're like we, we he just he thinks he, I don't know who he thinks he is, but he's like, we can't schedule time together to like you have to put it on the calendar because just for Mary Hollis that's coming on. We do the Patreon together because we think we're sunny and share, but we are not. Um, number two, um, thank you for your reviews on Apple, specifically Spotify, wherever you listen to them. I really, really appreciate them. I got a really nice one the other day from Chantal. I don't know who you are, Chantal, but I love you and you're awesome. Um, and what's my other thing? Oh, I'm going to start with a story. And And, um, I know my guest, I think maybe saw this because I now think, let me just tell you, I think that I'm a professional TikToker. I need to brag and tell you that I have 680 followers on TikTok. I'm pretty much an influencer. Let's be real. And, um, so I now it's the worst thing that anybody could have ever taught me because my ex like theater, like degree is, I think coming into its best use by using TikTok. And I think I'm pretty darn good at it, at, at doing the, like, you know, when you talk over the people, I can talk over the people perfectly. So when, when my husband says at the end of the day, what did you spend your time doing today? I I maybe have been on TikTok for a good solid hour, maybe more, and I've gone down the rabbit hole of crazy. So I'm going to tell you that Um, I did. I do have to tell you, if you don't follow me on TikTok or Instagram, pretty much the most embarrassing thing. I think it's embarrassing. Soon I'm not going to care about this stuff because one person said to me, oh, honey, you're not going to care in a few years. That's probably true. So I was in Target. Mary Hollis, I'll bring you in a second. and, um, and you know, like I'm in my usual caftan, like, you know, I always wear a caftan cause the spring summer months are coming out and I enjoy a nice caftan and I was feeling, feeling myself. I was feeling like I looked pretty good. Go up to the register. I needed some Fibercon because my mom told me that you need to start taking Fibercon and it's going to change your life. So I was buying Fibercon And if you listen to the podcast, you know, I'm a huge lover of breathable underwear. And the best thing about Target is that you can buy them in like six packs. And so I was going down the aisles and I was like, oh my God, I need, this is what I need. I I need some new, and I'm going to branch out instead of using my usual Hanes for her breathable underwear, I'm going to do the Fruit of the Loom breathable underwear because that's just how I had to do it. So anyways, I'm, I'm going to check out and the, I had those two things and that's it. 
like I thought I needed other stuff, but I go to Target every day. And it was just like one of those runs where it was like, what do I really need? Oh, do I need that plant? No, the fake plastic plant. No, I'm good. So those two things. And I turn to the left and this man says, hi. And I was like, hi. (laughs) And it was a dad from my kid's school. And I was literally checking out with a six pack of breathable fruit of the looms and FiberCon. And he looked down and on the thing, on the like checkout thing. And he like, look, like looked away, like he was mortified. And like, I shouldn't be embarrassed because I openly talk about my passionate love of, of breathable underwear and how I've given up wearing thongs except in leggings because you can't have a double butt. So I just, I still wear them for working out, but um, and I wear Bajari, by the way, wear Bajari best, um, best thongs ever. Cause they don't, they're just comfortable and breathable, like breathable undies. Anyways, I, wa- I was mortified. He's like, bye. I'm like, bye. I don't know his name. I think he is a kid in like second grade. No clue who he is. See him at church. I'm mortified. He will know at church this Sunday that I'm wearing my breathable underwear. So then I walk out to the parking lot and I, and I could not find my car. I, I, this happens to me every day that I go there. I don't know where my car is. So I took out my keys and I had to press the alarm. And as I'm doing that, he walked out behind me. Like I, I was, I literally have not ever been so embarrassed in my life. Uh, Mary Hollis. (laughs) I mean, I'm sorry. This is just a podcast with me. You're just going to sit there the whole time and watch. Go ahead. It's a perfect opening, Megan, for a podcast about PTSD and trauma. Like, yes, totally. <laughs> totally. Like, this is totally a normal thing to talk about in the beginning of a trauma. I actually saw this on your Instagram and I uh-huh. felt right alongside you mortified as well, yeah. but also so glad, just like on your podcast, that you were able to share it with us and make us feel all less alone in our breathable underwear and our Do you enjoy a breathable underwear? I Let's just do an hour on breathable underwear. Okay. Actually. I mean, let's like we don't need to talk about trauma or anything serious. <laughs> like welcome to the Breathable Undie podcast. Like yeah. let's go. Let's start it. <laughs> this is the new this is the new us. It's it's life. It is life changing and I'm going to give a shout out to my sister Michelle. Because several years ago, she told me about breathable underwear. And I was like, that's, I'm not wearing granny panties. I I just don't care anymore. I've thrown in the towel. Like I don't wear them like on romantic vacations, but like I enjoy them on a daily basis. Yeah. My underwear collection truly is shameful. It's either Mm -hmm. like it's falling apart, like Mm -hmm. some sort of, you know, woodland creature has gotten into it and ripped it apart. Yeah. (laughs) Or it's breathable underwear and, or it's nothing. I love, or nothing. Well, that's okay. If you're wearing leggings and you don't want a wedgie, like nobody cares, but like, why do we have to be uncomfortable as women? Like it's, it's like step up to the plate girls. If you're sitting there with a wet, like one of my friends, I told her yesterday, she's like, oh, I still wear them like thongs all the time. Like I'm doing you a, a public service listeners by telling you like, you can wear, and my husband doesn't like what I'm saying, but this is my own. <laughs> your life. This is your life. This is your space. This is your podcast. This is my life. We've all been put here for a reason, and we all deserve acceptance. Judging Megan with Megan Judge. I'm a trauma survivor from a really young age, and I have been diagnosed with complex PTSD in the past few years. I've been surrounded by death and abuse much of my life. I've been dragged through the mud and have been to the point of not wanting to go on anymore. Through my interviews with other survivors, I've learned that there is a way out. From recovering to surviving and thriving, we all have the strength to come out the other side. You are listening to Judging Megan. Everyone. I would like, I mean, this is a serious topic today, but I would also like to introduce you to Mary Hollis and Bowden. I'm a huge fan of hers. Um, Righteous Gemstones is one of my all-time favorite shows. I lived in Charleston, South Carolina. I 
I have family in there in Charleston. My mom lived on Kiowa for a long time. I'm a huge fan of Charleston. And so when the show came out, I, I just, I'm obsessed with it. Also, you might know her from Kevin Can F Himself. And also um, Murdersville. I watched, I reached out to you when I, I saw it. you on that. And I lo- I loved that show. I, is it coming back again? I don't know. You know, I hope so. I haven't heard anything about that. I was just a guest star on that. So I don't get you any were of the great, insider though. information. Thank you. It, the You're, perm was my idea. I oh was very God. proud of my perm. Love a perm. And uh, I did, uh, I don't think that that was the original first episode in the slate of all the episodes, but I was very, very lucky to be performing with Conan. I'm a big fan of his and he did make me laugh and they did keep it in. So I look like (laughs) I don't know what I'm doing when the cameras are rolling. Um, And, you know, it, it makes me laugh every time. Okay. So something that people should know though, is you are an extremely, um, you're, you're, you just have really good comedic timing and you're very very talented I'm going to give you that and also the reason we know each other which we're we'll talk about briefly before we go into this story is um my one of my very very best friends for years and years and years uh Michael Willens who yes uh, shout out Michael has been on the do you know that he's been on the podcast I did not know that I have to listen to literally like one of the very first episodes when I couldn't get guests and I was like hi uh would you like to come on I have a podcast I'll be shooting it from my bedroom yeah but your hustle your hustle is like no other I mean I met beautiful Megan at Michael's house at poolside in Los Angeles and she had her gorgeous family there, two beautiful daughters. And Michael and Jacob, his uh, partner, have all these dogs. And so yeah. I don't know if you remember, but me and your entire family, <laughs> including your smallest, made up an entire musical about dogs, do. which was supposed to be a spoof on cats. But Michael and Jacob don't adopt cats. They adopt dogs. And some of them are, they're varied uh, degrees of behavioral issues amongst these dogs and you know you're just constantly like are my ankles gonna get bit am I gonna be missing toes when I leave this house yeah because one of them's no 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 but one of them does bite and like you'll walk in the house and they're like oh just ignore Hank he's gonna bite you no big deal I'm like okay (laughs) do we ignore it or do we do something about it are we confronting this behavior nah it's just sort of like the house for dogs and humans are are welcome but at your own risk but the musical was so funny I remember because I at that point I might that was the first time I, I met you that time and Michael's like oh she's an actress and I guess I had recognized you but I didn't like really put it together because yeah. You just, and then I was, I was obsessed with you after that day. Cause you're, you are so good with kids. Oh, thank you. And, and funny. I mean, just your, the, your wit and your ability to improv like you did. I mean, you had my daughter, like she's still like, when I told her, I'm like, I'm recording with the girl that you met at the pool at Michael's. <laughs> she was like, you are, she's so excited. I love but she, that. She doesn't was- listen to this. It, it was but, such yeah. a good, it was such a good, um, it was a good day. And I was so dazzled by your daughters and their just creativity and they're just, it was so wonderful. And, and we did, we got really, we had a really fun time writing this musical, but it was that day that you said that you were creating this podcast mm-hmm. and it was, I mean, if it, if you had done any of these at that point, I'm not sure, but, um, we started following each other on Instagram and I've watched your whole journey. And I just, I love, I love the podcast. I love the space for the sort of deep, uncomfortable, um, sometimes tragic discussions that you have with people. Um, I think that trauma and PTSD can be quite an isolating experience because Mm -hmm. you're the only person who knows what it feels like, even like in my experience, you share it with other people. Um, so I, I do, I have always applauded you for creating this for yourself and to work through some of your things, um, publicly, but I, I also appreciate this space that, the, you know, the thing we're going to talk about today is not something that I share all the time because, mm-hmm. you know, usually it's, it's not just an uncomfortable topic, but it's hard for people to carry with me. Yeah. So it's hard to share it because it sometimes can seem really inconvenient to the listener. So if you've got this space where people are leaning in, 
I'm happy to share my experience because I think that we should all be sharing our dark and uncomfortable things to hopefully, in this case, provoke change. Yes. So let's make a little pivot because we both are gals that enjoy laughing and humor. (laughs) And honestly, I say all the time, like my humor helped save my life, you know, um, like, like just being a survivor of the trauma of my childhood. And I'm wondering if you're kind of like that too, you know, where you kind of that like acting and escaping into characters and all the things that you do kind of like help heal you. Yes. Um, 1000%. I think that the, you know, I, I don't think that you can reach anybody uh, unless there's humor involved anyway. Mm -hmm. I don't, I think people stop listening, Mm -hmm. but when you're talking about something as tragic as, you know, a mass shooting, Mm -hmm. I, I understand that we, you know, we have to go to the, the darkest place and I'm ready to do that. But I, I did also have such a saving grace in my imagination. Mm-hmm. It's something that when the shooting happened, I was able to leave this world and sort of escape into other people. It, it has made me in my life highly empathetic. I absorb, I sometimes to my detriment, um, mm-hmm. but it also is sort of a superpower of mine and it's made me I think successful at my job, my big imagination that kicked in right after the mass shooting that I survived as sort of an accidental survival mechanism has now become something that I, I use in my career, you know? Yeah. Well, let's talk about this. We're, so we're going to go into, so you are, uh, you live in Arkansas you're a working actress, all, like working jobs all over, shooting everywhere. Yeah. But part of, so before I go into the shooting, um, I've noticed, like I, I talk quite a bit about shootings on the podcast, just being a mother. I've had, I don't even know how many episodes I've, I think I'm on 120 episodes right now. I've probably done like five to 10, no, five to seven with survivors of mass shoot, either mass shootings or shootings. And, um, and it's extremely frustrating for me not being a survivor of a shooting to be a parent, I'll say this, or, uh, uh, somebody that lives in the our country and interviews people all over the world and they don't seem to have these issues. Um, and I always said, I never wanted to get political when I started this, but to me, I'm at the point where literally I threw in the towel when I just interviewed Daryl Stevens, who's an actor a few weeks ago. And I just said, you know, I'm done. Like I, it's, this is not a political issue. This is about lives. This is about, you could be anywhere And so I'm extremely passionate about this. And so when I reached out to Mary Hollis, I just said, you know, I've always thought about you. And I think we, I knew pretty early on what, that you had been a survivor of a mass shooting. And, um, and I was afraid to kind of like ask you to come on. And then I reached out recently and I said, do you think you're ready to come on? And you said, I don't know yet. And you were like, and then I reached out a week later and I just said, do you think you're ready to come on it? And you said, yeah. Yeah. And so I understand, you know, it's very painful to talk about this stuff, but also how frustrating it must be to continue because your shooting took place in 1998 to continue to see this. And every time it happens, it must just infuriate you. So can you take me back to that time and kind of like, tell the story? Yes. Um, in March of 1998, I was 12 years old and up until March 24th of 1998, I had a really idyllic country childhood. Uh, I'm from a farming family. My dad's a fertilizing chemical salesman. My mom worked for the local TV station. Um, 
She was a program director and uh, kept Ellen's coming out episode on the air when it was um, protested against here in our tiny southern town. Um, I was very proud of her for that. I love that, Mom. Yeah. <laughs> Good job. Um, it kind of always fighting for like justice and, yeah. you know, but in our small sort of country pocket way, you know, and I was lucky to be exposed to theater and arts. And so I'm going to dance classes and really had sort of everything that a kid could ask for, you know, and I went to school one day and the whole day was completely normal. It was a gray day, kind of like it is today outside. And uh, we had lunch. It was hamburger and French fry day. And we went to our fifth period class. And Miss Carlisle took the role. And everybody was in my class. And she started. And the fire alarm went off. And Miss Carlisle went back to her book and looked at her book to see if there was a fire drill on the schedule and there wasn't. And I was insistent that we get outside along with some of my other classmates because a fire drill meant that you got to laugh and joke and hang out with your friends, you know, mm -hmm. and you got to have a break from actually sitting down and learning whatever she was going to teach us in reading class that day. And, uh, we all followed my sixth grade fellow students out to the playground and weren't there for very long before we started hearing these terrible pops. And I understand now, and forgive me if I go back and forth from, from then to current day, but it's important for me when I tell my story that everybody knows that we live in a society now where this is all sort of commonplace and mm -hmm. kids have uh, school sh active shooter drills we did not have those then. I mean, I was 12. I'm 37 now. So uh, I have to kind of put it in perspective for people, I feel, when I talk about it because of what the epidemic has done and how it has graduated to what we experience now. It was it was not the same world in 1998. And so there, the pops were either construction or fireworks. You hear it all the time from mass shooting survivors or shooting survivors that it must be fireworks. And that's the, you know, immediate sort of denial of the experience. And it was everything that happened from then, every, every thing that I witnessed, everything that I saw is so completely hard to describe Megan, because while it's very real, it is so violent. And it has always felt that when I share it in graphic detail, it will never be enough for people to, kind of comprehend or be able to see for themselves or until you are in it, me and my classmates, my other sixth grade friends are the people who know exactly what that was like. Right. And so if I were to go into detail about that right now, I wouldn't feel good about this interview. Yeah. But I can tell you that it was awful. And these things at 37 years old are things that I replay every day of my life, good days, bad days, distracted days, days when I have nothing going on, days when I'm so excited to be on set at work, doing the thing that I love. These are the images that I replay over and over again, completely with no, with no, you know, no meaning to, you know, it just mm -hmm. sort of pops in. Mm -hmm. They have made a way into my everyday life. The shooting is violent. It's graphic. My friends start to fall down. Um, my teachers are hit. Um, my best friend Paige is killed that day along with another teacher and three other of my classmates. Um, and we are ushered quickly into the school gymnasium that is nearby where we find kind of some safety for a moment that two of my classmates have planned this and done this. They were 11 and 13. 
and they had a barrage of guns on the back side of the school where the youngest one, Andrew, who was in my class, who I knew well, we sat, my last name's Inboden, his was Golden. We sat near each other, so alphabetically we were always sort of, you know, hearing each other's names. And also, this is a this is a 250 students, faculty, staff school. This is a tiny school in the yeah. middle of nowhere, Arkansas. So just to give you some perspective about numbers. Um, five people were killed that day because Andrew, the younger of the two, ran down the middle school halls and pulled the fire alarm and got us all outside and started shooting at us. It had been planned on the school bus between himself and the older student, Mitchell, who was in the seventh grade, a year older than me. And they took a lot of lives. And after they felt like they were done, they started walking back through the woods behind the school to the van that they had stolen to, we don't know what the next part of the plan was. They were apprehended behind the school. Um, that is the experience of the shooting itself. And in the immediate aftermath, we are, as students, called back to the school because at our age, we were very young, mm -hmm. it was important that if we were ever going to be going back to that school ever again, that we get back there as soon as possible. This is what all the therapists are saying as they're sort of flooding into the school to, to provide help. Um, so we went back to school that night and not that night, sorry. The, the next night we were back on the school grounds. School was canceled the next day. And on that Wednesday, this shooting happened on a Tuesday and on Wednesday we were back in school and we started sitting and attempting to talk about what we had seen and what we had experienced and the classes were from that point on for the rest of the year. And, uh, you know, from what I remember, even though the class structure, the sort of like, you know, environment of our classes was still all these like straight row desk lined up in some ways for the rest of my school life, we were always in these circles. So if you can imagine all the desk in a row. Yeah. After the shooting, my class of sixth graders from then on out, we're all sort of like, whether physically or just emotionally in this sort of circle in a group therapy session. Um, I think that I've learned this in therapy uh, after the fact, but it's important for me to share that the reason why I don't go into graphic details about the actual event is sort of the same reason why I have a hard time talking about it out, you know, outside in many circles. And one, it's because it's a super painful thing to talk about. But also, there were so many people who came with the intention to help us as little kids, right? There are so many people who who kind of infiltrate the school in the days after to kind of, you know, they're, they're, they're licensed professionals. We've got social workers and psychiatrists and psychologists from all over the state, all over the world coming in to this sort of anomaly, this shooting at this little school that, that kills five people and injures 10, you know, um, it was just so strange. It was just, it was just kind of, and, and while shootings had happened, there was, yeah. there were two in 1997, there was one in Stamps, Mississippi and Pearl, you know, uh, Pearl, Mississippi and Paducah, Kentucky were of note. I think three people apiece died there on those school grounds. Um, they they just weren't as commonplace. So everybody's doing their best in the days immediately after, and everybody is trying to help us and, and wrap their arms around these kids who are just like, and, and our teachers, you know, who have a completely different experience, a completely different adult. Well, filter. yeah, because your brain, like, I mean, I'm, I cry, I'm obviously it's, I, I, I understand. And I, and I like that you're not going into like the graphic detail because yeah. people sometimes part of me sometimes is like, well, maybe they need the graphic detail yeah. when I get angry and I think about it, Yeah, you know, for these lawmakers it, that, that yes, are, yes. right. Because but what I else think, can we do? I know. I know. And I, I, yeah. I, honestly, I want, you know, my, my guts always say like, tell it, 
Tell yeah. it exactly as you saw it. But you can't go there. It's probably also for it's, your brain. Like it's entirely painful. It's yeah. entirely exposing. And it's also, it, it cannot help but be sensationalized because everybody shares it with me. They mm. just have a different part of it, right? Yeah. These are, these are things that are happening nationwide. So we all have some sort of relationship to them, whether we want it or not. Mine's just closer at hand than so many, you know, but also, you know, the, the, the reason why I don't speak it is because when these people came in to help us, there were so many adults who I know that their intention was to do good, but because nobody can help you hold it and nobody wants to hear little kids talking about these terrible things that they've seen, they won't really hold it with you. Mm -hmm. I remember one specific instance where a trained professional was sitting in this sort of group circle with me and my classmates and my friend, who I won't name here because it's my story, yeah, uh, at 12 starts telling what happened. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. This time of year is the worst. I feel like I can't do anything and I can't enjoy my dinner because I can't taste my food and I can't work out because I feel tired and distracted. I can't even feel like I can host this show because my voice sounds like a duck. Luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D, designed for serious allergy sufferers. Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so you can breathe better. I feel like I've been using Claritin D for probably a few months now, and I have really noticed a difference. I can work out. I'm not feeling like my eyes are watering and my nose is all stuffed up. I can speak without feeling like a frog has jumped into my throat. Ready to live life as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. To us. And as she was talking, my adult brain remembers that it was like she was describing the Vietnam War. It was like she was describing something so it, it couldn't possibly happen. I mean, it, and, and it, it, you know, the blood and the gore, and she's, she's talking about this in this therapy session and the therapist is trying, I think to lean in, but cannot do it and stops my friend and says, let's get to the seven stages of grief. And we no. passed this book. Because nobody yeah. truly can hear a little kid. I mean, you you have two little daughters, but the things that were coming out of her mouth all made sense to us because we'd all seen it. Yeah. So she wasn't telling any fibs. She wasn't creating a tall tale. But when you see a little kid talking this way, it's like, and you didn't experience it. It must not quite be that way, right? It couldn't be that graphic or that violent. So... From that day on, I think I tucked in a lot, and our job, I understood, was to survive it, heal from it, move on. And I think that this is something that we're still teaching. But but I for think... but my question to you is, like going through and and obviously this was 1998. To be honest with you, I didn't even know about this shooting because really, um until I started reading about it and reading about like how you did the play and, and, and then in our, in my mind, I remember, uh, Colorado Columbine, yeah. right. That to me, like, they're like, Oh, that was the first. And anytime you hear it on news, they say Columbine. Oh, you're, they you're... say. And so for me, like when I read that, I was like, well, first I, 
like, what about my, like, what about Mary Hollis's story? Like this happened to her and, and those other children and these teachers. And why does nobody, why does nobody talk about this? It does. Thank you so much for one doing the research. It makes me feel so seen. And and when I say me, I also mean my friends. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, my, my friend who was killed, my friends who were there, your best friend, my best friend and my, and my classmates who are, Mm -hmm. you know, all struggling in different ways. We all are. I, we're all, we're all walking through, but we're all struggling. Um, it is buried. The shooting at Westside is buried beneath so many and Columbine does. It is the, it's the bookmark for where this problem started. But in fact, what I know is that my shooting, the shooting at my school, which I will call my shooting, Mm -hmm. is the one that taught Columbine how to be Columbine. And the next one after Columbine is taught by Columbine. And this is how we've gotten into this sort of vicious, fast-moving, completely overwhelming epidemic of mass shootings. And now mass shootings everywhere, not just mass shootings in schools. Churches, so one churches, teaches the other one. Yeah. Yes. One yeah. teaches the next one how to, how to do it. Let and me ask it you, is really, go sorry, ahead. I didn't mean to talk over you, but obviously this is major, major PTSD, complex PTSD. Anytime that just being a you know, your brain isn't full. I talk about this all the time. Your brain isn't fully developed until you're 27 years old. When you're a woman for men, it's even, I think later they're doing the research. It could even be 30. So to have to hold that and, and live with it and then constantly have a barrage of just Almost people being like, well, you don't matter. Your story doesn't matter. We're going to just let that we're going to just pretend like none of this is happening every day. Yes. And so every time this happens, I can't imagine what it's like for your, for your fellow students and your teachers, if you know, to be reminded that you almost are being told, I'm sorry, it makes me emotional that you don't matter. I mean, you're, it's, it's like, you've been in my, um, my therapy sessions with me, Megan. Well, I have been. I was in there and you just didn't see me. I'm joking. (laughs) You were there. It was was creepy. (laughs) Um, I, it, it makes it hard on my, on my, on my best days, I take real ownership of being a survivor, you know, this thing. Mm. And I, I take real pride in the success that I've made of my life, which was also so taught to us. It was, it was ingrained in us that we got this life and now we have to live it. Right. We got this, we, I got to be here. Paige did not. So the undertones of sort of live for her or she is your angel has propelled me into some life that has brought me a lot of joy. But it is also quite damaging to tell a young person that, you know, they're they're now living for somebody else and and their their happiness is tied to this tragedy and, you know, the the constant reminder that you might not be doing it right or the way that they would have had they gotten to be here. You know, the sort of like I for like years survivor's I, guilt. Yes. Survivor's I, guilt. Yeah. Yes. And I have for years felt my sweet, sweet friend Paige, you know, sort of on my shoulder and never realized that Paige would not be the judgmental curmudgeon that I have created her to be, you know, mm-hmm. in moments where I'm like, well, maybe you should be working harder or maybe you would be further along if you were more focused. Right. Um, But it makes it really hard when the shooting is forgotten, when she is forgotten, when we are looked over, you don't, it makes you feel like you don't matter, that your experience doesn't matter. And also one that could have taught us so much, taught us nothing. Because 
I feel like if I had to watch the things that I saw, if I had to lose my friend Paige and my teachers and my three other friends, then I, I, I can take that. Like I can live with that my whole life. I can, I can keep going to my therapy and I, I don't speak for my other classmates, but I can, I can do that if, it, if it's just this one, right? But Paige and my classmates are buried beneath so many others and nobody remembers it. And it makes it sort of feel like everything in my life on my worst day is sort of meaningless. And that is that. And when you say that, you know, it's so fucked up is the fact that even and I and I consider myself I try to educate myself about on all sides and read a lot. And, you know, I'm very passionate about this, obviously, but I cannot remember the names of the shooting victims that happened one week ago. So if you think about that and you think about everything being buried and all of the things that you're saying, it's as if the, the amount of carnage and trauma and all the things that, that children all over the country now have seen it, it, it like, what are people, what are politicians doing? Yeah. And then it yeah. starts to make me just get angrier and angrier. And it's like, what is happening? Like, it shouldn't be happening. So, so you, you know? asked me, yes, you asked me about the timing of yeah. reaching out. Cause I, I know that, you know, I've, I've been quite curious about your podcast as a, as a listener of this podcast oh, on thank many you. different, yes. On, and on many different topics, I think you cover mm. so many things that, you know, complex PTSD, of course, but also mm -hmm suicidal thoughts, you know, it mm -hmm. gets really, you get really into it on this podcast. And I'm proud of you as, as your friend and also proud of you as just a, a fan of the Well, P.S. I'm really freaking proud of you. And if I lived in Arkansas, I'd be start stalking you right now. And then you'd be like, <laughs> leave me alone. But come, come on. on. Come on over. <laughs> uh, I think the timing is important because um, I posted, which I, I don't do all the time because there are so many of them. Yeah. And, and quite frankly, we all have, uh, some shooting fatigue. We, we do, we can't, we can't remember these people. We don't sit vigil long enough. In my opinion, we, we move on just as was done to me and my classmates. It yeah. was very much like you can graduate and you will do a good job. You will graduate your therapy. If you get up and move on and show us that you're not going to be a problem, right? That you're not going to be like... That, that you're not going to let this really define you or oh, get its claws in you. And it's like, that already happened. Like, that's happened. We're we're past that. It's you're like, it happened the day that it happened. It happened the day that it happened. <laughs> yeah. And a whole bunch of adults, in my opinion, like, were shocked by it. It took everybody by surprise. And the real betrayal comes in when nobody fixes the problem. And so there's a 12-year-old girl in this 37-year-old body who's really fucking pissed off. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to be the one who fights it every day. I don't want to be the one who posts about it and reminds you about the shooting at Westside. I don't want, I want somebody else to have thought that it was significant enough that losing five people, one of whom was my best friend who knows what she would have become, I want it to be significant enough to have changed it then. And 25 years later, I am here on your podcast because six people were killed at a little school in Nashville. And I posted about it because they all looked like me and my friends. Mm -hmm. there, are, there are some of them that happen, like Uvalde, that are particularly hard for me to get over. It's particularly hard for me to get out of bed. It's mm. something that I have to sit. And if I could, I would light every candle in my house and sit in the dark and pray to my universe and God that I believe in 
to make it all stop and to remember. I feel like we don't sit with this long enough before the next one happens, and so they're all insignificant. And when you reached out, I thought, well, that's that's too that's going to be too much. It's going to be too hard. And really, the reason why I'm here talking to you today is not just because I'm a fan of the work that you do, but also because I don't want to not matter. I don't want my friends to not matter. And I do think that I, I, two things can be true. More than two things can be true. I can have made a successful life and still walk through a lot of darkness because of this thing that I survived, right? The anxiety, the fear is all compounded by the next one. We are completely feeding into this idea of preparedness over prevention Mm. And it should not be. Now, Megan, I understand that we cannot put the toothpaste back in the tube. And I understand that shootings will continue to happen. The shooting at my school in 1998 was not an AR-15. There was an assault weapons ban at the time. It happened from 1994 to 2004. Basically, my school experience was under an assault weapons ban. So you just didn't see AR-15s in schools, you know, doing mass shootings. You yeah. didn't see it. Yeah. I think that when we feed into the fact that we are sending children to schools and getting them prepared for this, that's a problem. Okay. This is this is something I have never heard. And that's why I think it's so important that you talk about this. It's a problem because yeah. it is leaning so far and I know that you don't get political on your show. No, I do. I actually do now. That was the point. I literally am tired of not talking about things and I'm done. Yes. And yeah. it's not because what happens <laughs> yeah. is one side leans and says it is just a mental health issue. And the other side says, no, no. it's a gun issue. Yeah. And I am not somebody who believes that all guns will go away, nor do I believe that they should. No. I am from the middle of nowhere, Arkansas. Mm. I grew up in a house with guns. I am not sort of vanilla on this issue. I believe in an assault weapons ban. I think that that is the least that we can do for the babies at school and for the old ladies in the grocery store. I do believe in background checks, and I think that it should cost people a lot of time to own firearms. And once they, I think it should cost them a lot of, of time and diligence and paperwork. I do. I think that people should have to do that thing before they own firearms of any sort. Well, it's the same thing as driving a car. Like everybody says, you have to go, like when you're old, you have to retake your driver's tests. Like, yeah, background checks, like there's things. And I told you before we recorded Yes. I am pro, like I grew up with guns in my house, not with my dad, but my evil stepfather had guns and he was a hunter. Yes. And, um, and I by no means am anti guns. And I think a lot of people in the country, you know, as long as you're educated on them and if they're used for, for purposes, like, you know, whatever they're used for and they're secure and, but there's no need for AR-15s um, no. and, and violence is going to happen. But, but like, just to piggyback on what you said, if I hear one more person say thoughts and prayers, yes. I am literally going to like, I mean, I might go loco nation on people and just, yes. I mean, and I'm, I'm not also, even a survivor of it and I can't take it. You don't have it. to be. You are yeah. a mother, which is one of right now, in my opinion, the bravest acts that you can do, because I can't understand, I, I, I can't wrap my head around because of my experience, why mm -hmm. I would risk having something that I love have to live in the world that we've created. Well, let me tell you something. I said this a couple of weeks ago, um, cause I've been talking about this a lot lately and I had, I just repeated an episode with two girls that are big Australian podcasters, the good morning podcast. Yeah. And I was asking them in the beginning, I recorded that in 22 and I asked them like, why doesn't this happen? Obviously there's still going to be violence. There's still going to be shootings, yes. but the culture of, of like what we've been talking about and, and just like, Oh, news flash, news update, like story of the day, like giving these, these shooters like time on the air. They shouldn't be showing people's pictures. They shouldn't be no. these, 
our culture is so freaking effed up. And I said in the beginning, I'm guilty of it myself. I think I'm a professional TikToker, like all kidding aside. But everything now is about social media, getting like the next story on the news. Yes. These are people's lives. And my kids came home, my youngest came home, like, and told me that an alarm went off. And she was like, oh, we got really scared because we didn't have a, a gun, like a some kind of, they do like all of these exercises now. And yeah. one wasn't scheduled. So obviously, like my nine-year-old Ella that you know was like, yeah. mom, this happened. And then I go to church every Sunday. I sit in the freaking front of the church. And I'm also super paranoid just because of my history. Yes. And sitting in the front of the church, I take this lady, old lady, Pat, to mass. I shouldn't call her old lady. She's elderly and she's the bomb. She's 90. And we sit in the very front and it's always somewhere in the back of my mind. Why am I sitting by the front door? We don't have to live like this. We this should not have to live like this. this you should not have to live like this. Your no. friends should not have to live like this. And maybe my question to you is, I know it must be traumatic, but you like you're a public figure, like you're on TV shows. People know, yeah. who, know who you are. Do you, do you talk, do you want to talk about this or is, do you even think it's going to be worth it? Because it doesn't seem like anything is. And now there's repeat people that are in one sh- mass shooting, finding themselves in a second. Well, I mean, it's just, if if you think that you're not susceptible to gun violence or being a victim of a mass shooting is lunacy. You're putting your head in the sand. Yeah. yeah. And I, you know, I, I, I think the, we, we don't have to live in this way. I, I don't have to, I shouldn't have to white knuckle it through a rom-com mm-hmm. because I'm in a movie theater with my boyfriend and mm-hmm. I'm worried that the worst thing's going to happen. But in my experience, since the age of 12, and this has been 25 years now, that's that's what I know. And it's only gotten worse and worse, as discussed. And I think that, you know, I, I want to kind of circle back to this, this idea that two things can be true. And, and when we talk about it, not just like adding to the noise, right. Which is what is always one of my fears is just like, I'm going to be another talking head. We've got pundits that we're listening to all the time saying like, I can't do thoughts and prayers anymore. I, I, I myself can't do, I can't watch a bunch of adults around me shrug and go, gosh, I just, it's unbelievable what happened in Nashville. It's not. My mom, who is so well-meaning and I love very much and was such a saving grace for me, you know, as a child, just really like helped me hold my story and cared for it with me. And she said after Nashville, she said, "Um, we're better than this. And I had to shut her down right there. And my instinct was like, we are not better than this because if we were better than this, we would be. Yes, a hundred percent. That like we're not. We're not. Mm-hmm. Fantasy land is thoughts and prayers, fantasy land is I, you know, gosh, I just don't know how this sort of thing happens. Well, it's accessibility and it's accessibility to guns, and it is a mental health crisis. But when we start practicing preparedness over prevention, when we start getting our babies ready for a mass shooting event instead of making it very difficult to buy the gun that will kill them. Mm -hmm. We don't care about life. We are living in an amosexual society. We are choosing this over our children, over our people. And it will and is coming for you. There is a likelihood, we've already seen it happen, that in my lifetime, regardless of who remembers my shooting or not, that I will experience another mass shooting event. And we don't have to live like this. I don't have all the answers, but I do know 
that putting our society on alert, being scared, becoming hypervigilant is exhausting. There is a low hum of just fear in all of us. And honestly, one of the major fears that I've started to get is like we, if we don't get a hold of some of this, this gun enthusiasm and pull it back some and get something to happen that's just sort of curbing our appetite for these weapons, then the alternative is that we're all armed and we're seeing that too because even in a non-mass shooting event, people are reacting like that and killing people yes. for driving up the wrong driveway. Going to somebody's front door. Yeah. Yes. So I, I don't I don't mean to like just just like pile on the noise. But if I can say anything to you, and thank you so much for having me on, it's that I'm exhausted, I'm tired, I want it to be fixed, I want to be, I want the experience that I survived that so many of my friends didn't, and that so many of my friends live with mm-hmm. in a strikingly painful and obtru- like a like all-encompassing way right? Good days, bad days, bright days, dark days. I just want people to see and to hear that my whole life will be, I'm I'm affected by this my whole life. And I'm 37. I want these victims who are, who are more recent to not get lost. And I want us to care enough about those kids who are climbing through the woods, trying to get out of that school. I want us to know that it's not just the people who die. It's also the people who live who have to, I have to keep marching through. There's no alternative. I I have to. And I think that I've done it successfully, but it doesn't make it any less painful some days. And it certainly doesn't make it any less frustrating when a new shooting happens and I sit there and I go, me and my friends could have stopped this if anybody cared enough. If anybody were willing to like lay down their arms long enough and not just insist that we healed because we're focusing on the healing part and not the crisis. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that's part of like what we taught. I mean, I talk about every day is we're in a mental health crisis. We're not putting the dollars towards it. We're not doing the work behind it. And at the end of the day, that's what it's about. I mean, it's about. Money should be being put towards this, period. Yes, yes. and if period. you're going to talk about it being a mental health crisis and it's a it's a person, not a gun, yeah, then take care of all the people. We have to have the infrastructure. I, there's no there's no insurance for me that covers the therapy that I need. Right? Oh like my there's God. no no, like, and don't so even gonna, get me started. Like yeah, like like you cannot. I, I I have a fit every month when I pay my insurance bill and I my my therapy is not covered. No. So what do people do? I mean, I try to tell my listeners, go to a community college. There's therapists, young therapists that are studying that are not even like fully therapists yet, but that's that's at least something. But it's not a full, like fully schooled, fully trained therapist or a no. doctor. No, this should so be we're like, going to live in yeah. this society yes. where you're talking about somebody who's going to grab a gun and go shoot something up. Yeah. Our, our, our infrastructure is not taking care of our, you know, universal health care is not taking care of that no. person getting the care that they need. And then also, if we're going to live in this society, you're not taking care of all the victims of this rampant problem. And it, it does. I mean, my friends and I suffer varying degrees of addiction. From the shooting, I, and also, you know, something I think that's notable is I won't know about my anxiety just as a regular person on this earth. I don't, I don't have the, I don't know if I was born that way or what is the shooting, right? Some of my therapy is peeling that back and trying to get answers to like, was this, was this going to be me or is this part of the shooting? Like, is this part of the shooting and surviving the shooting, right? I just don't know. I, I won't. I won't. Yeah, know you'll like never. Your ta- the 
you're we're we're taking away people's like lives in their head like not just physically Paige wasn't killed but like a part of you was killed that day like your heart was broken these kids are were their your hearts were all broken your brains were all like destroyed for how like how you know how much of your brain I don't know but it feels like that and I know you have to go because you're an act like a working actress to a table read I could talk I mean I feel bad because I'm cutting it off right now but I don't want you to be late but I I, I will always come back and talk more about this if you've got room for me I oh my god I I, I'm like I'm now like can I send you to like Washington DC and like (laughs) I mean, I'm like in my head, I'm like, so basically I'm running for a seat in Congress and so are you. I, uh, I listen. Yeah. I, I, maybe I really you should think about go, it. Yeah, I will. I have to I, let you go. And I, but I really, really appreciate this time. And thank you for, thank you for saying that me and my friends matter. You do. I mean, you do. And I adore you and we'll chat soon and good luck with everything and I just, I, I'm, I'm sending you, I'm sending you peace and just so much love. And, and I, I'm sorry. Like, that's all I can say. And everybody should be saying, I'm sorry, period. I'm sorry. No more thoughts and prayers. Like do something, get off your asses, politicians. I tell Um, you what, I know we're about, we're about the same age, but the little 12 year old inside of me really appreciates hearing an adult. Well, we're not the same age. I'm way older than you are. But um, anyways, Mary Hollis sending you so much love. Thank you for coming on Um, audience listeners. Please listen to this. And as I say, every podcast, be happy by making other people happy and freaking do something about this and use your, use your, use your mouth. Vote. Use your brain. Vote, please. Like, do something. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Judging Megan with Megan Judge. Mm-hmm.